Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the House That Inky Built podcast. I am your host, as always, Jackson Frank. Uh, today, I will be bringing on Tony East, who covers the Indiana Pacers for uh, a litany of places. Um, but the plan today is to dis- discuss uh, maybe the potential for a-, a Ben Simmons to Indiana deal. Um, we'll kind of talk about what that could look like if there is the potential for that. Um, and just as a preface, I am hosting a Spotify green room as I record this. So, um, just like to preface that as well. And if you hear any noises in the background, that is probably my dog Lilo, who is always starving for attention when I do these podcasts. Um, but we'll bring on Tony now and we'll get started here. Um, for anyone who's listening, uh, in the actual green room, if you have any questions or comments, feel free to, uh, post those in this discussion tab. We'll do our best to address them as well as anyone who wants to come on stage. We'll be more than happy to, uh, Yes, accommodate you would be the way I would put it. But Tony is here, and we will uh, get going. Hey, Tony, how are you doing today? I am great, Jackson. How are you? I am doing well. I don't know if I'm quite as enthusiastic as, as you were with that, but I, <laughs> but I, I am welcoming the energy for sure. Um, but uh, obviously, as as I said uh, before I, I brought you on stage, the plan today is to maybe talk about the viability or the lack thereof of maybe a Ben Simmons to Indiana deal. Um so I guess right off the bat, Tony, I'd be curious, do you think there is, does this idea have some legs to, I know some some Sixers fans and maybe even some Pacers fans have discussed it, but from your perspective, someone who's covered the team for a while, is this something that is a, is at least a possibility over this offseason? Yeah, you know, with where the Pacers are intersectionally between, you know, growing the core that they've had and having a really down season, I think that changes are always a possibility after you go. 34 and 38. So I think that just the, the timeline of where they are, it makes some sense that if there's a big move they could make to potentially improve the long-term outlook of their team, this would be a good offseason to do it. But the other thing for me is in a market like Indiana, where it's just so hard to get stars and it's so hard to get franchise guys, we're going to be around for a while. The allure of having a guy who was all NBA two seasons ago to be able to potentially swoop in when his value is at an absolute lowest and acquire him has to be appealing, right? I think every team would, would think similarly to that, not even just because the Pacers are a small market team. So unique opportunity for them potentially if the if the smoke to the Simmons move stuff is actually real uh, to swoop mm-hmm. in and get a franchise-altering player. Yeah, for sure. And I know I do think there's there's definitely some legitimacy to this. I know Adrian Wojnarowski reported a couple of days ago that um, there's been no formal trade request, but there has been some kind of talks of maybe engaging other teams. So um, at the very least, you know, there, there's a possibility um, that, you know, Ben Ben could be moved at some point here. Um, and, of course, I say that my dog Lilo is, is going crazy. So maybe she wants Ben to stay in, in Philadelphia. Uh, maybe she doesn't want him to go to Indian, I guess. But uh, clearly that's the case uh, as she continues to freak out here. But um, kind of more specifically, what what would maybe the, the framework in your mind look like there? I think kind of the main guy that comes to mind for me would be Malcolm Brogdon as the main return um, for the Sixers, just as you know, they've they always need kind of more guys who can can space the floor, and obviously Brogdon can defend a few positions as well, which would be nice because you're you're losing a lot of defense on the perimeter if you, if you trade Ben Simmons. But what what do you think maybe kind of be the the baseline, or maybe a, kind of a, a general idea of how how that could come to fruition for the Sixers and Pacers? Yeah, it's an interesting value thing because the Pacers have a lot of plus value starters that would fit really well in the 76ers, which mm-hmm. makes make such a deal sort of interesting. The first fake Pacers trade I saw involving Simmons was 
I think Sabonis and Jeremy Lamb to Portland and then CJ McCollum to the Sixers and Ben Simmons to the Pacers, which made me kind of laugh. But that actually did the, the, the Pacers area I wanted to start in is that Simmons and Sabonis is kind of an awkward fit. So that three team yeah. with Sabonis on the move actually made me go, oh, wow, that would be great for everybody if, if something like that was actually possible. But if we're just talking a direct Pacers Sixers swap, I think Brogdon is the one that the Sixers would want the most, maybe him or TJ Warren just mm-hmm. given the way that their skill sets would fit on a Sixers team. And Brogdon's salary would be very helpful in this deal since he's around $20 million And Simmons is, I think, going to be around 30 next year. So, uh, yeah, I think Brogdon's a good start to a framework. Obviously, I, I think he alone is not enough. Simmons is young and was All-NBA last year. And I get that he just had a horrible series where his flaws and lack of fit on the roster certainly hurt his value. But to me, it's like I'm going to give this analogy that I've been workshopping with Ben Simmons for a while when I think of his trade value. It's like we had a and the Pacers were involved in the series, so I have very intimate knowledge of it. There was a Raptors Pacers series in the first round, or in the in the first round of the playoffs of 2016, where Biombo had like an all defense level impact on defense, and Solomon Hill shot like 50 percent from deep. And then they both got ridiculously <laughs> overpaid in the summer because they had a really good series, and they were <laughs> overvalued. And then that ruined their value on their next deal. I think that Simmons, this is happening too, but in the opposite direction, where he had a bad series that's totally totally ruined his value in, in the wrong way. Like, Bianco mm-hmm. and Solomon Hill were not that good. Simmons is not this bad. So I think it's really hard for me to figure out the exact assets it would take for the Pacers to do it. I don't think Brogdon is enough by himself, obviously. I, I think you would agree with that. But I don't know what the required stack of stuff on top of him is. Yeah, I think that's, a, that's a, actually a really good analogy. And I mean, you said it happen all the time. I'm sure Reggie Jackson's going to get a massive deal. Yeah. I mean, great for Reggie Jackson, of course, but he's going to get an incredible, probably a deal that's over, overstates his actual abilities because he's having a phenomenal run. But um, yeah, the, the thing with Ben that I've tried to kind of make clear on some of these these streams or these podcasts is that, that yes, he has clear issues beyond the first round uh, you know, of, of, a, of any, playoff, any playoff run. Um, at the same time, he's had three really excellent first rounds. Like that, and it, it helps too that again he's playing as a higher seed every time. Um, but this is a guy that can help you, can at least help win a playoff series. And for a lot of a lot of franchises, winning a playoff series is a big deal. Becoming one of the last eight teams in a given in a given year is is an accomplishment. Of course, for a team like the Sixers, who have Daryl Morey running things and a guy like Joel Embiid who just had an MVP caliber season, that's not quite what you're aspiring to. Um, but it all kind of matters of kind of what the team's vision is, and so. Uh, I think Ben has a lot more value than maybe what I've seen. Again, I I don't like these trades. They're just like let's fight, let's surround the six with the role players because that turns them again. That turns them into a first turn out. And if you've right. listened to these streams or, or people have listened to this podcast, I've talked about it a lot. It doesn't make sense to just go from a second round out to a first turn out because again, the Sixers can continue to win at least probably one round with this core in place. And while that's not ideal, it doesn't make sense to take a step back. Um, but the maybe the the first I was because I was doing I was kind of going to the trade machine a little bit and one one trade that maybe still is underselling Ben, uh, but that I had that, you know, made that at least, you know, made, uh, was workable under the cap, uh, was adding Justin Holiday in a second round pick from the Pacers side. I don't know if that's still enough, but that may be kind of something I could see. Obviously, Holiday, again, is like, again, you're not going to, you're not going to replace Ben Simmons on the perimeter defensively, but getting Holiday and Brogdon, a couple of guys who can hold their own at least, and maybe kind of provide some plus impact at times defensively helps them both can stretch the floor as well. And then just another second round pick to maybe bolster it. But um, would there be, was that, is that in the right track? Is it, is it still underselling maybe kind of Ben's worth to the Pacers? Like what's, 
what maybe would you try and did you was it just Warren maybe like what what do you think kind of would work there in terms of what I what I suggest? And am I still underselling Ben? That that feels like underselling Ben to me. And okay. and Brogdon certainly has positive value, like fringe all star level guy. Who, by the way, Brogdon might be like the one of the best role player fits next to Joel Embiid, like in the NBA. Like it, that would be great. What is it about? What is it about his fit specifically? Just because, just kind of made you explain to people because I don't. I mean, I have yeah. an idea, but I, maybe I don't know exactly because you would know a lot more. Well, the, like the problem the Sixers have had for the the dawn of time in the postseason <laughs> is that when when Embiid's off the court, they're just god awful, right? Like minus <laughs> minus a million per hundred possessions, and so Brogdon and he he's not a perfect player. Obviously, he's not even an all star level, but he's really good as a one option and a two option and even a three option just spotting up, which doesn't happen very often in the Pacers setting, but we saw that a lot more with the Bucks. So with Embiid, Embiid's dominating presence down low or even on the perimeter, it's like all of a sudden Brogdon's wide open and he's really good at attacking mismatches or, or like lapses in a, in a defense. And I think that would be a really nice fit. And then when Embiid's off the court, you have a really reliable, again, like top 50 NBA player controlling the ball, good defender in the game who can still shoot like, and the, and Sixers Adam, our, our pal, has always been about this. Like, the Sixers just never have enough guys who are good at dribbling and shooting, right? Seth Curry was so huge for them because they never have guys like that. So I agree that Brogdon would be a good fit. Justin Holiday is a really good player because he's a 3 and D guy in the NBA. But I still feel like Simmons has more value than that. I know his contract is certainly seeming like a negative right now after that playoff series. But, again, he was All-NBA one year ago. The reason his contract is so big is because he was All-NBA. He's a three-time All-Star, like – I feel mm-hmm. like at least one first would have to be in there, probably more. And there's one other player I think that would be interesting for the Sixers uh, in the realm of that players who can dribble and shoot category, and that's Jeremy Lamb. I get that he's been really injury-prone and mm-hmm. isn't very good on defense, but he can do a lot of the stuff the Sixers have been lacking on offense recently. So I've always thought that maybe his money could be interesting in the Simmons deal. Yeah, for sure. That makes sense. Um, and the thing I also like about Brogdon is I think he's a really good decision-maker from the perimeter. Um, and the Sixers have kind of lacked that to an extent. I mean, like, like Joel is a great player, but he still has kind of some decision-making work at times with his passing vision, which is much improved. Uh, and then you look at maybe other deals, you know, like Tobias Harris is, is a slow processor. That's partly like, he improves the passer this year, but he's still not great there. Um, Brogdon in- instantly becomes the best half-court passer they've had. I mean, based, I mean, I would say Jimmy's a better creator, Jimmy Butler, but like he becomes the second best perimeter creator and passer they've had since the, since Joel Embiid, you know, uh, entered the league with them. So uh, that would be a nice thing too. I think just having more like kind of sound decision makers who can actually carry worthwhile loads would be. Nice. I mean, because George Hill was brought in to be that guy, but George Hill didn't quite bring the aggression he needed, which again is the long-standing issue with George Hill is kind of a lack of aggression at times, um, even if his decision making is usually pretty good. But that's the one thing I would like too, just kind of from a from a general standpoint, is another good decision maker who can carry a big load offensively um, would really help them. But um, you mentioned a little earlier the kind of the wonky fit of, of Sabonis and Simmons. Um, do you th- so? Do you think like would 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 Sabonis's presence deter the Pacers from engaging in this sort of deal, or do you think it would more spur them to maybe look for a third party to make this a, a bigger deal? Um, what, what do you kind of view that direction as, you know, kind of how, how, how Sabonis might shape what this, what, if this deal has legs or not? Yeah, it's interesting. Like with two guys that good, why they've both been all-stars the last two seasons. Like Mm -hmm. at some point you just kind of shrug and go, you know, we'll try to figure it out. Right. Like that to me, that wouldn't be a holdup if both teams liked a value, but that said, it would definitely be a consideration for the Pacers and, 
you know, they, they already have Miles Turner as well, which is, makes it even more of a consideration. It's like, oh, wow, we could really get a good fitting group here if we mm-hmm. moved on from this guy. So that's why I like that, that third team consideration with McCollum, just because it, it solved a big problem for all three teams. But yeah, you know, like they're both really talented, like readers of the game offensively, especially so Simmons, obviously. But, you know, Sabonis' screening and passing is really rare for bigs like Jokic, obviously, is several tiers above him. But very few bigs can pass the way he does. So mm-hmm. they, they would fit well together in that way, but they definitely clog the same areas. And you'd see a lot of the stuff that, like, the problems with Simmons we just saw in the playoffs. Not This isn't the only problem, obviously. There were some mental hurdles as well, but... You know, like Embiid likes being inside more than outside, so sometimes having a dunker spot guy isn't as good. And Sabonis is tremendous on the roll, but not so much on the pop. So you'd run into a lot of paint clogging again, uh, unless Simmons is the guy running it. And then, you know, it, it's just there's a lot of fit, fit issues that you you know you're well aware of. You brought it up, so I think that the Pacers would would ideally fit wise if they could get Simmons and then not have Sabonis on the team in the same deal would be great, but. You know, they they could work it and try to figure it out. And Rick Carlisle has done very well uh, throughout his his tenure as a coach amongst various stops of you know kind of tailoring his offense to the talents he has. So I think he mm-hmm. can figure something out. But it's it certainly would be a factor to me at least because mm-hmm. th- their fit would be kind of awkward. Yeah, for sure. I think the point you made about kind of they're both talented, they're both you know all star level players. Um, they'll make it work. Um, certainly has validity, but especially after you know if this is if this is a uh, if this is a trade that came to fruition, certainly after Simmons' last stop in this hypothetical, a little tougher sell to say, oh, just two two all-stars will make it work when you know it, it, that Simmons has played next to an inter- interior-centric big man already and there's there's been some issues. Again, the issues were much more prevalent beyond the first round, but at the same time, the Pacers wouldn't be the same caliber of team that the Sixers have been during this era. So they'd be playing from a you know a lower seed, most likely, um, you know, rather than the, the higher seed. So, um yeah, but but I think also what helps too if is is if there is a third party involved, a third team, um, the Turner. I mean, the Turner Simmons fit is very like I guess skill set. I mean, some somewhat skill set wise um, in terms of you know the, the idea that you have a floor spacer and Turner uh, that helps. You would still be very short on creation, especially if you got rid of Sabonis in the half court. Um, but a, a, a floor spacing five, a true floor spacing five like Turner, is a great fit next to, to Ben. Uh, and then also defensively, I mean, you just you just watched how how well Ben and Joel worked, you know, defensively together, um, you know, kind of in the playoffs and throughout the regular season. Um, Turner's, you know, Turner is a, a, an excellent defender in his own right. Of course, you know, um, was having a defensive player of the year caliber season before injuries kind of you know bit him down the stretch there. Um, so that that would be a fit that I really like. Um, beyond the Blazers, are there any are there any trade suitors for Sabonis that catch your eye that you think? you know, could benefit both the Pacers and the Sixers? Because as as you mentioned, like the, the, the framework for the trade that I suggested of Holiday Brogdon in the second isn't enough. And maybe the Pacers, just having, I think having more teams involved and maybe entice the Sixers to give this guy up could help everyone. Is there any other teams that come to mind for you that could kind of help facilitate this deal if the Pacers aren't sold on Sabonis and Simmons working together and look to move on from him? Yeah, you know, one one team that's come up, I'm going to use Miles Turner talks as my starting point here just because those teams are interested in centers, but that's not necessarily, uh, you know, they might not be interested in Sabonis necessarily. But the Charlotte Hornets pop up first. You know, the, the Cody Zeller and Biombo has not been the answer for them at the five over the last couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. Um, and Sabonis would fit their timeline well. They have some up-and-comers. They were, you know, on the fringe of making it last year. They just got Hayward right. They'd be really, po- really 
potent on offense if they were able to <laughs> smash the bonus in with the group they already have. And they have some interesting young pieces that don't even necessarily like fit their rotation perfectly like Malik Monk and P.J. Washington. P.J. Washington does play a lot for them, but uh, doesn't fit perfectly with the stuff they try to do. And, you know, Devontae Graham is a restricted free agent. Maybe they could sneak a sign and trade in there. And he would also be another great Sixers fit, I feel like, as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the Hornets are one team that always stands out. Uh, the Spurs are another one. Not Jakob Pertl, very underrated. I know you know that. But <laughs> Jakob Pertl is good, but Savonis would, would help them a lot. And they've mm-hmm. picked a bunch of young guards over recent seasons that could be good fits in a deal like this as well uh those are the first two that came into my head as i think are in the league i'm having trouble coming up with another do you can you think of any off the top of your head yeah i think those are two really good fits um i especially like the 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 hornets one just because of how you know how poor their center rotation was last year obviously zeller is a fine center but his lack of availability or consistent availability really hinders him um you mentioned the blazers of course um you know i i would be curious um you know with I mean, I don't, I'm trying to like, I mean, I don't know, like, may, do the Mavericks have any interest in, in Sabonis? I know, I know that it, it'd be weird for, for Carla. I mean, I know he's not the decision maker there, but it, but it would be kind of funny to see those two teams, you know, <laughs> uh, you know, one team takes the coach, the other team takes the, the all-star player. Um, I think that could make some sense. I'd like to, I mean, I think that having a guy who can kind of create to an extent to lessen the burden for Luca would help a lot. Um, maybe there's a, maybe, maybe we go to a wild four team or, you know, I had Ricky O'Donnell on. Uh, to talk about uh, you know Simmons Levine type stuff, and he talked about maybe the idea that there could be a huge, huge, massive trade involving Simmons, Porzingis. Um, he mentioned Gobert, maybe McCollum. Um, obviously, we didn't mention you mentioned Gobert. Yeah, I mean, he just was kind of you know off the top of the head. Maybe if Utah wants to go a different direction, but point being is that like maybe there's a huge deal here where we where the bunch of bunch of kind of rerouting of, of notable guys on, on sizable deals. Um, so maybe there's something there with I me mean, if they if they want to try and move Sabon, or Porzingis, um, but that's the only other one that really comes to mind. I can't. I mean, like, do the Warriors have interest in Sabonis? Um, I, but their my issue there is like I don't know what they can really offer to entice either of those teams. They're they're short on young talent if the Pacers want to go in that direction, and they don't have a ton of great role player depth to kind of supplement you know the Sixers losing a, a guy like Ben Simmons. So. Um, those are kind of the ones that come, the other ones that come to mind, but I struggle to see kind of how the Warriors get there. But with the Mavs, I think there's certainly something something there potentially, as, you know, kind of a finding a second creator for for Luca. And uh, Tim Hardaway Jr. in a sign and trade could be a good fit for either team here, so mm-hmm. the Sixers or the Pacers. So yeah, that's a good one as well. Uh, De- Turn- Miles Turner's from the Dallas area, so that has been a common Turner discussion mm-hmm. spot as well over the. The Pacers years, I just skipped over them for some reason. In my, you know, I, I kind of block out Dallas now that Carlisle's on the Pacers. I just forget about them. <laughs> like the, the way he burned the bridges going out with the with like the we suggest you hire this coach stuff. I'm always like, oh, I wonder if there's some bad blood there. Um, <laughs> yeah, I, I have trouble thinking of other center spots. The Bulls used to be one I always would think about, but then mm-hmm. they traded for Vucevic. So that one. Uh, is it is is awkward now? But like the other thing about Savonis' value is like I use Vucevic as a launching point. Like that had two firsts in it and a good young player in Wendell Carter. So it's like is mm-hmm. Savonis maybe overselling what it would take to facilitate a three teamer here? Like I, it, that makes an, that adds another loophole of challenge. Or you know the Sixers aren't going to add assets to a Simmons deal, right? Like the PR loss there would just be a disaster. I don't think they would even do that. So that almost makes me think Savonis wouldn't be involved for that reason. Yeah, that's true. I th- yeah, I think the only way the Sixers add assets um, is if they're upgrading from Ben Simmons like, right, in terms right. of talent. Like if it's if it's a Zach Levine, I, well, I mean, I don't know how much better. I mean, 
we had I've talked about it before, but I think Levine had a better year than Ben this year for sure. But still, yet to be seen kind of where he levels out as a shot maker. But that t- like is it a, is it a Levine? Is it a Beal? Like you know, there's been some stuff with Dame having a sense of urgency to win. You know, um, those, those are the sorts of deals like kind of the the upgrade in talent rather than the maybe a little better fit for the second round if they can get there, um, but a lesser talent, um, of course. But um, you've mentioned Carlisle a little bit. Carlisle a little bit. I'm curious. Do you think his hiring it all changes the direction this team might go? Not because, like, I mean, because Rick, you know, he he oh, he won a title and then he, he overset kind of a a shift in the Mavericks where they missed the playoffs for a couple of years. Like, do you think they would be willing to maybe kind of go into a little bit of a rebuild? And the Pacers don't really do a lot of rebuilding, but do you think Carlisle's you know arrival changes at all? Maybe the the I guess the willingness to, to go a little younger and try and maybe have a couple of lean years, like, do you think that changes at all? Or do you think he's willing to, you know, kind of go through that again? Actually, ironically, it's the opposite. Um, at first, you know, there's been whispers that there's been, they've been considering it in Indiana. Like, is this roster good enough? Should we rebuild? And then they, the, 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 the Carlisle hire thing that makes me think that that's a no now is that it's four years, 29 million. Like, that's a big coaching contract, right? So they're committed to growing with him through the core of their current team. And then Carlisle himself releasing a statement to ESPN, which I'm trying to find. And apparently I tweet too much. It's taking me forever to get there. Oh, he, <laughs> he, um, he said to Tim McMahon, it's always possible that moves could be made before the season, but I think Kevin Pritchard and I are both excited about getting the roster healthy and seeing the team could be like, you don't just subtly sneak in like, oh, maybe there's some roster moves I can make the day you get hired, <laughs> unless you're like thinking about your team getting better. And so I don't, I think that because there's been sniffs of it before, but then they go get this good head coach and they, they Kevin Pritchard has stated on the record that he likes this core many times. I think the Carlisle hire Man, I'm going to stumble over those words many times. <laughs> uh, they're just gonna they're gonna try to grow on the current core that they have with a with a more experienced X's and O's coach and see where that can take them. But if, I mean, obviously, if they can get an upgrade in the form of Ben Simmons, that would help things a lot. And Carlisle, like through Dallas, and even even with the Pacers, right? He took the Pacers team with Reggie Miller to 61 wins, and then in Dallas, he had Dirk and Luca, and he was with the Pistons when they had Chauncey right before the Pacers, right? So every team he's coached has had like a guy, right? So. Obviously, the Pacers' Sabonis is really good, two-time All-Star. He's great, but, like, Simmons is, like, a guy, right? So mm-hmm. he's he's always coached in that way. So I almost think that he would be willing to do that as well just because of the teams he's had in the past. That's not a reason to make a deal. It's just a thought, a straight thought I'm having while we're talking. Yeah, for sure. I think I think what, what helps, too, is, you know, obviously a lot of teams were snake-bitten by, you know, an assortment of whether it was injuries, COVID-related things, just, just we, you know, maybe his team didn't have it because of the circumstances this season. Um, the Pacers were obviously one of those teams, of course, um, in in conjunction with kind of the, the head coaching struggles of Nate Bjorkren. Uh, and and the, the upgrade there is with, with Carlisle is so, so huge. And you kind of have some, I guess, not, I guess optimism, you know, warranted optimism that, you know, we get our guys back, you know, guys are healthy. It's a kind of a... A stable season again with with a top, you know, five to seven coach, whatever you want to put Carlisle as, um, we can really make some noise again. I mean, the Pacers got off to a good start last year, um, you know, and then kind of you know fluttered a little bit after that. Uh, not not fluttered, my goodness, not the right word, but um, they stumbled a little bit after that. But but yeah, I totally see that and kind of the idea that they they want to you know roll through or ride ride with Carlisle here um, and whatnot. Specifically, with you know, we talked about kind of the fit of Brogdon uh, on the Sixers. Um, if if the kind of the, the framework of the trade, you, let's just say you did the the Sixers do 
Brogdon, Lamb, and a, and a first or something, maybe kind of like a top top eight protected first or something like that. Um, for Simmons um, and Sabonis still there, Turner still there. Everyone, everyone else is kind of still in in the fold. How would you <laughs> see Simmons fitting on on this team? What could he bring? How would he help? What would be some of the hurdles they have to to overcome to kind of maximize his game there? I'm laughing at the giant team the Pacers have now assembled in this. <laughs> yeah. Those are the 2019-26ers all over again. Yeah, uh, which maybe is not the best precedent, uh, of course, for success. But uh, <laughs> but this is this is who they are currently. Maybe I mean, you're you you are the GM and the coach right now. You can you can make some moves you like. You can trade Sabonis <laughs> to whoever your heart desires, as long as it's uh, within within reason here to alleviate some of the the fit issues if you see <laughs> see it uh, worthwhile. Yeah, that that would be a giant team full of defense, right? T.J. Warren's on ball defense is great. They'd, they'd be like. Asking Karis LeVert to dribble like 70 times every possession. <laughs> other than that, things would be okay. Um, yeah, the, you know, the fit stuff they've had with Sabonis and Turner, like they both complement each other enough that it's mm-hmm. been okay. But I think if you add Ben Simmons to the duo, then it's like, oh, man. <laughs> you know, whoa. whoa, whoa. Not, not, not only is Karis LeVert dribbling 70 times, they're all like 40 feet from the basket because <laughs> he can't drive anywhere. So that that would be tough. I think they would have to make another move to to – do something like that. I like that value in general, though. I think that's pretty good. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think if I'm a GM and that is proposed to me by Daryl Morey, uh, I would I would do that. I think uh, make it 13 this year, right? Like it's already your top eight protected pick, and you're done. Mm-hmm. So th- there you go. But uh, um, yeah, I think the Pacers would have to make a move off of that specifically because then they're also low on point guards. Then McConnell's a free agent, <laughs> right? So they would have. Like, Karras could run the point a little bit, but Aaron Holiday is, like, their only point guard-ish guy. So they would need to deal a center and sign a point guard, so there'd be a lot of ripple effects from that. Ben Simmons <laughs> can play point. I guess I forgot that he was on the team in this deal. <laughs> <laughs> I forgot about the guy I just got. Um, but they, they would have some definite roster flaws if they did a deal like that. Like that said, the value, I would still do it because it's hard to get stars in Indiana. But mm-hmm. uh, th- they would definitely have to, to do something else, whether it's deal Turner or Sabonis to one of the teams we said earlier or – uh, get a get another point guard in the door. They'd actually almost have to deal a big. I mean, I can talk about other moves, but they they just have no spacing otherwise. Yeah, um, they they could, they could talk with Elton Brand and Daryl Morey about how to how to make that, that stuff work. My um, God, I get well. I guess yeah. I guess Daryl would know felt full well considering he took the job in like October, or whatever, and then traded for two of the better off ball shooters in the NBA in like a month. Um, <laughs> so that's his solution: is go go trade for Seth Curry and Danny Green, and then things will be a lot. Can, better can I it. ask you a Sixers question here, unrelated yeah. to Ben Simmons? Yeah, of course. Do you do you think that Danny if Danny Green health alone would have been enough for them to beat the Hawks? Uh, if DeAndre Hunter was still out, I, I do think so. Um, that's the obvious caveat is both teams are missing, you know, key key wings. Um, right. But just I think I think Danny has both tangible and intangible, uh, you know, skills. Whether it's the floor spacing, like I mean, their their offense just basically totally shut down. I think the last three or four games, and that's the thing is people all keep talking about like. Oh, like why couldn't the Sixers do this against Trey? And it's like the Sixers' defense was very good in that series. It was the fact they had no way to score against the Hawks' defense. Um, that that was the biggest issue. So I think Danny would. Lila, relax. Danny, oh my goodness. Hey, hey, Danny comes a good player. Oh my gosh! For anyone listening after the fact, I sincerely apologize for this. And for anyone listening now, of course, as well. But um, just, just a warning there. Hey, hey, we're talking Danny Green, Lilo. He's a good player. Three-time champion. Put some respect on his name. Okay. Uh, Granny Dean, <laughs> yeah, that's that's what Lilo would like to call call him. <laughs> um, anyhow, apologize for that for everyone listening, uh, either now or after the fact. But anyhow, um, what what a help too is obviously you, you kind of 
alleviate some some of the burden there, just have a nice floor space where he moves well without the ball. Um, secondly, I think Danny Green was their best entry passer. Um, and you kind of don't think Joel maybe caught the ball in the same spots that he likes kind of down the stretch of that series, whether it was Capella being a little better, you know, forcing him farther out, or Joel maybe wearing down a little bit because of the, the mammoth work that they had both ends. And then just Danny's kind of, again, I don't want to I would just like use this veteran presence, but I think Danny throughout the year had a very calming presence when, because the Sixers were kind of notorious for hot starts, great first quarters, and then things would kind of start to slow. And Danny was able to, whether it was, you know, a key stop, a rebound, a rotation, a three, um, I think he would have helped there. So, yes, if, if DeAndre Hunter was still out, but Danny Green was back, I think they certainly would have won that series. And I don't know how many games, but I feel confident they would have been able to to swing however many points they need. I mean, it could have been – then they lose one game by like three points, so they could have gotten yeah. five more points from Danny. So, uh, I think so. But, again, the, it's it, – it, not that you're saying otherwise, but it feels – it feels unfair to say if, if one team gets its, its, its kind of calm wing back, the other team doesn't. Um, but, yeah, I think Danny would have helped enough for them to win that series. Um, but as, as Daryl Morey said in his postgame presser, or not postgame, his, kind of his first presser of the offseason, um, if they're squeaking by the second round uh, as a top seed, quite frankly, they're not good enough to win. Right. And that's, kind of the, that's, that's what they need to do, and I think that that's kind of the, the viewpoint you need, and I think it ties back to what we're discussing now and the idea that um, they're certainly going to do their best to upgrade – um, this roster, talent-wise, whether that involves Ben Simmons, uh, I, I won't. I can't confirm. I can't project. Um, but I think they'll be. I think they'll be very careful about how they pr- approach a Ben Simmons deal. I don't think they'll just trade him to trade him. They'll they'll do so. No no team ever does that. Um, but um, they'll be very careful about it. They won't just trade for better fits. I think Daryl's too smart for that. Um, but yes, to answer your question in a long-winded way, uh, interrupted by Lilo's barking. And- <laughs> And status as the guard dog. Uh, yes, Danny Green's availability in the second half of that series certainly would have helped the Sixers uh, score or save ten more points. You know, throughout the duration of the last few games. I think Nurkic and a first for Mason Plumlee and a second was a trade just to make a trade a few years ago. That's the only time I could ever think of that in India. But anyway, <laughs> I asked that question about Danny because I, I'm sure you've been you've done this before. But like when you cover a team. Like, sometimes when you watch other teams in the playoffs, it's, like, more passive. You're not into, like, any specific aspect of the game. And for Sixers-Hawks, I was a more passive viewer. But to me, like, Danny Green's absence really hurt Simmons, right? Like, <laughs> Danny's good on defense. Like, that gets him in transition more. And that's where Simmons is, is amazing. And he, he's, he's a good shooter, which spaces the floor out and gives Simmons more room to do his stuff. Like, that's a big loss just there. And like you said, he's a good leader. So, I that, that's such a dumb thing to be like, wow, Danny Green really is a factor here. But... You know, if I'm Daryl Morey, I can I can squint and go, what? You know, like he would have been better if Danny was healthy and we were close to the conference finals. And I get that we're not good enough to be the goals we want to accomplish with an MVP on our roster. But like, I, I don't need to sell this guy low right now. Like, I have the stuff already. So I, I I've I've been workshopping in my mind uh, again as we're talking. But I like Danny Green's impact and really how much it it matters here. And I also think that Daryl Morey has never been a guy to sell a, a nadir of value. So it might even be like Simmons gets traded at the trade deadline next year when his value is a lot higher. But I just I was just thinking about the, the context of Simmons' uh, trade value and what that series really meant. And you know, I, like it's impossible for me to take one series and just totally like review my value of a guy in a major way, like in a minor way, of course, but mm-hmm. in a major way. So I still value him really highly. And I like I when I go back to the deal we have of, of Brogdon a one and and Lamb or Holiday or whoever, like it's still like. I guess that makes sense because Brogdon's really good, but that's still just like internally, I'm like, wow, that feels low. Like Ben Simmons is a three-time All-Star and All-NBA player. He's 24, right? Like mm-hmm. I get his contract is what it is. But that just feels low. It's, it's it's a weird spot to be in. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah, Nadir, you're you're busting out the thesaurus uh, today. <laughs> Sorry. Um, <laughs> no, no, it, it, you're uh, you're enriching the minds of our, our listeners. Uh, always, always good. We'll get we'll get a review that someone will say. I like that guest that Jackson had on. He expanded my vocabulary. So thank you. It was the doc. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I'm going to get a bunch of good re- good reviews because of Lilo's uh, presence. But uh, but yeah, I think the I mean the only time I can think of Daryl really selling low was was the CP thing uh, a couple of years ago, and I think that was well outside of his control based on a lot of the reports. Whether it was Harden didn't really want to play with CP anymore. Or, or Tim Fertitta viewed it as the worst contract in the NBA, um, which says a lot about Tim Fertitta uh, <laughs> uh, to, to pull in the NBA Twitter. Tim Fertitta does not know ball, um, but yeah, I I I think they sh- like the way I kind of you mentioned kind of maybe not selling it the, the the dip of his value or the value the value of his value. Um, say that five times fast. <laughs> um, but I I think for me, what the I would not be surprised if they hold on to him and maybe kind of let him recoup some value. Um, he's, because he is a very, he's a very regular season player. And, you know, as much as we want to, well, as much as we'd like to say, oh yeah, front offices are going to, you know, they, they wouldn't, they wouldn't kind of, you know, be fooled by that. So, no, I wouldn't say fool, but like a lot of teams would buy into that because for a lot of teams, the regular season is very important. Just making it to the next step rather than progressing in that next step is, is a differentiator there. So I wouldn't be surprised, but for me, it's, it's tough because I'm not, I'm not saying that Joel is going to, you know, ask out, but it's a tough, it's a tough pitch in my mind to say, Hey, Joel, I know you used to like play on torn meniscus and you had a really great regular season and we're very good in the playoffs. Um, but we're going to hold on to this guy for another half a season to kind of see where his value is at. Like, I know, I know you're, you're good enough to win a title right now and we can make some upgrades, but we're going to see, like, I could, I, I, it, it, it makes sense logically, but it's a tough sell just in my brain because I think for me, if I was, if I was in Joel's spot, and I don't want to, you know, kind of do that, but it's just a, I mean, you, this is three times now where, where Ben's value is really depreciated in the second round of the playoffs. So, um, I see your point about like not, reading too much into a player you know for one series and i certainly agree and i think people are going way overboard about how they value ben simmons as a player and is kind of in a trade package but um this is three years now where he's you know struggled in the second round mightily um for a lot of the same reasons and so i struggle to i struggle to believe that it's the smartest approach when you're trying to maximize your center or not your center your superstar player and joel and b it's just a tough sell for me if that if that makes sense but i but I do agree that we could see it happen. I just don't know if it's if it's the move because it just I like if I'm Joel, I would be very. I mean, I would be frustrated. And he he clearly was post game. He, he took a lot of ownership for it, but he he was not he was not uh, what's the word? He was he was not subtle when he said that they thought the turning point was when they uh, had an open dunk and they got one point <laughs> right. out. Of he didn't say he didn't say Ben Simmons an open dunk, but uh, everyone watched that game and saw what the play is referring to. So. That's my kind of long-winded way of saying I agree we could see it. I just don't know if it's the best way to keep your superstar content, if if that registers. Yeah, it does. It does because, well, my, my, my thought that was going to be like, the Pacers did this last year, right? They had Oladipo, and he, he came back from his injury in 2019-20 and was pretty bad for some of that season but was better in the bubble. But his value was really low, so they held on to him during the offseason because the offers were, frankly, pretty bad. And then for the first 10 games of the season, he was pretty good for the Pacers. He was playing good D, he was knocking down his threes, good lead ball handler. And then all of a sudden, James Harden does his trade thing, and they're like, wow, like this guy had no value in the offseason, and now we can get Karis LeVert for him? Like, yeah, we're going to do that, right? So mm-hmm. it worked out for them to wait until the season started because Vic got a lot of value back and then lost it all like a month later. But that's not here or there. <laughs> but, you know, it worked for the Pacers in that way, but they didn't have the long pressure of like making our mvp candidate happy and 
we're, our title window is literally right now. Like we, we, you know, even waiting 10 games is, is threatening to the, the happiness of everyone involved. So it's not a perfect comparison, but that, that was something I wanted to bring up. Yeah, for sure. And that makes sense. And, uh, and it's just, you mentioned kind of the title window. I mean, I, I've harped on this at times, whether it's in streams or, you know, privately, like, like Joel is 27. He's going to be 28 late. Is he really? Yeah, it, it, it's not. It's wild to think about. I mean, what? Yeah, he's he's twenty seven. He's gonna be twenty. He's he's a father now. He's he's uh, uh he's he's really uh kind of I don't know. He's he's in his prime, I guess, of, of his life. Uh, not his life. My goodness. Uh, he's he's that that sounded way too more. My goodness. He's twenty eight or twenty seven even. Um, but my point is like you've got kind of a three year window where most guys tend to peak at that twenty six to twenty nine age range, and so um. You know, he'll be 28, kind of, I think, March. I don't know exactly when his birthday is. I think it's March 16th. It could be off. Um, kind of weird that I would know that. So hopefully I got it wrong. Um, <laughs> my birthday is March 8th, so it's pretty close. So maybe that's why. Um, yeah, you get it right. My goodness. Uh, we'll keep, uh, we're, I'll edit that part out, uh, even though I don't edit these podcasts. Very oh, much, heck no. But. Don't edit that out. <laughs> uh, anyhow, Joel and Big will turn 28 on March 16th of uh, 2022. Um, the point being is that, like, you don't have, you know, he's not, it's not, he's not 24 anymore, right? Like you don't have this lengthy window. Um, like I'm not going to subscribe to the, all like, because he's like, you know, he, the, the bottom might fall out with him. Um, Joel's too smart and too skilled to ever like, you know, meet some terrible player at age 30, 30 or whatever. But um, you only got a few years of him being this good. And, and right now he is good enough to, I think this is the first season where he's been good enough where you can win a title with him as your best player. Um, and you only have maybe three of those seasons and you just used one. Um, and you fell well short of your goal. So, um, as you said, it's a little different than the Oladipo situation, but I totally get where you're coming from. You mentioned Lavert. Um, is there any chance they would be willing to part with Lavert, or is he kind of a guy they really like because they got back in the Oladipo deal? Because he's a guy who could help the Sixers, of course, as someone who can, you know, credibly run a pick and roll um, without, you know, stumbling over his own own feet. And they don't have many of those guys throughout the Joel Embiid era. You know, when you go 34 and 38, like no one, no one's untouchable, right? Like, and for, for the right price, anyone on the Pacers could be had, but I think that they've wanted Levert for a, a while, right? They, they even bef- they they say this, um, but they said they would have picked him the year they they <laughs> had his draft pick and they traded it for Thaddeus Young. They say they would have picked him that year, and they they've liked him for a while. They they tried to get him before this season, I know, and they couldn't, and they finally could when this Harden three team deal stuff went down. They were able to get him from Houston. For Vic, so they were really psyched about that. I know this front office are fans of his. And then the way he entered Indiana with, the, you know, the cancer treatment and all that, mm-hmm. I think that they're really behind him and his growth as a player. So I think that he has a lot of, like, sentimental plus talent value to the Pacers that makes him, like, not I – don't, I don't think he'll be dealt. Like, I, he's probably the most likely guy in the Pacers to be back next season, just given his situation. That said, he'd be an excellent fit on the Sixers as well. And didn't he tear the Sixers up in the playoffs a few times? Uh, uh, yeah, I believe the year that um, the the year they had Jimmy Butler or the Sixers had Jimmy Butler in that first round uh, went five games, and Karras had some ridiculous. I mean, he only pulled him up quickly, and he, and he and I think he he had a big game early in the year um, when uh, right kind of when when I think it was when Seth Curry had it was right when the Sixers COVID outbreak was happening. Um, big game in Brooklyn, uh, I think I want to say like forty something points, but. Um, yeah, in 2018-19, in the first round against the Sixers, he averaged 21 points uh, on 49% from the field, 46% from three, 51% on twos. Um, so both of those are, are very much you know, kind of a little higher than his his normal uh, output there. But yeah, he is he has uh, kind of been a Sixers killer at times, which is his ability, kind of his quick titch, quick twitch ability, 
and kind of get in the lane, get in that mid-range jumper area and whatnot, and kind of the floater and all those little herky-jerky shots he likes to, to use. Um, but yeah, 21 points on 61% true shooting that season. So um, Joel Embiid and whoever else has been around for a few years, Ben Simmons, uh, Furkan Korkmaz, uh, are, are, which is funny to say Furkan Korkmaz is like one of the longest tenure Sixers, um, <laughs> but it is the case uh, when you constantly move things around to try and accommodate your superstar. Um, the, those three guys at least are, are kind of well well versed in what what Karis can bring, so just was curious because as you said, he would fit well, and the Pacers have a lot of different guys who I think could help the Sixers. But um, you know, kind of if you're t- looking at who maybe would be the headliner in a, in a Simmons to Indiana deal for the Sixers, I think it would be you know Brogdon or or uh, Brogdon or, or Levert. Maybe obviously Warren would help as well, but I think they need maybe a little bit more than just kind of a, a score, even if Warren would help. But uh, was just curious there. I appreciate kind of the insight um, on that front. Yeah, it, it it seems like two of any of Brogdon Levert Warren is too much as well. So it's probably just one of those guys and Brogdon makes the most sense in this deal and then whatever other stuff it takes, Justin Holiday or Jimmy Lamb or picks or stuff. So in summation, as we've talked about, various topics to get us to this point. <laughs> that That is our, our walkaway point is Brogdon a good-ish first and a good role player that helps the Sixers. Is that where we're going to land here? Yeah, Brogdon a first and a role player, I think, yeah, is probably kind of where where we're at. I think that makes the most sense. And I just and that's my issue with, with these Ben with Ben Simmons deals is I don't I don't know like does that make them better? Like if that right. if they if they trade those those things, um, you know, for Ben Simmons before the season last year, do they do they get the one seed? Do they have home well, court advantage? Like like where do they you know, because that's my whole thing too, is yes, there are guys who could have helped you know, the Sixers more in the second round, but there aren't, but like those guys wouldn't have gotten them to the one seed to play the eight seed wizards and be the, you know, so that's, I don't know. I don't know if it's quite enough. You know, I think it, it the framework makes sense and is, you know, I, I understand it. And I, I don't know Portland's thinking, but to me, every Sixers trade package for Ben Simmons, you have to go, well, is this better than CJ? Because like that makes so much sense that I feel like mm-hmm. it'll, it'll be there. Like realistically, and I think that's close to CJ, but I also think Portland would be willing to give up CJ plus a little bit. So mm-hmm. CJ is like a perfect fit for the Sixers' needs too. So it's it it's close there, but I think you prefer CJ at that point if you're mm-hmm. if you're the Sixers. So that's another factor is like you have to beat McCollum, and and that doesn't quite do it. Yeah, and I think I mean the, the Blazers should be should be like chomping at the bit. To, I mean, yes, I, my I, God. I, I wrote that big article about Ben Simmons over at Dime Up Rocks last week, and and uh, or maybe it was this week, I guess. Um, I know I, it's only Saturday, but I never know. If people say this: the week starts on Sunday or Monday, so I'm always always hesitant there. But anyhow, I wrote about how it's kind of tough to really maximize or optimize Ben. Um, well, I don't think the Blazers are the the perfect system. There, it's it's pretty dang close, especially if they resign Norman Powell. You have the lead ball handler in Dame. You've got kind of a secondary creator who can attack downhill in Norman Powell. You've got the floor spacer in Covington. And while Nurkic isn't quite the floor spacer you'd like as a five, like he shot some more threes this year. I think you could get him to take even more of those. And he's a good passer too, so he can kind of space to by playing from the elbows and letting kind of helping Ben have more space to the rim by pulling the center away from the basket. Um, so the Blazers should at, like absolutely be going after that sort yeah. of thing because he, he would help them a ton. And I think CJ helps the Blazers or the Sixers a good bit. My only hesitancy there is I do think he's somewhat redundant with Tobias Harris. Now they they do need more what? guys who can in, in the sense that, like, so both CJ and Tobias are kind of guys who like to operate in the mid-range more so than, you know, kind of from three. CJ upped his, his rate a lot this year from deep, I think, but don't really get to the rim or 
are probably underwhelming passers for the roles they typically play offensively, and they don't really draw free throws. Um, so I think like they could use more guys who with that skill set, but I just don't think it's like the perfect fit. Even if a guy like CJ is a good pull-up shooter and, and a solid passer, I just think there's like still a little bit of a gap in terms of high-level decision-making and the ability to generate easy buckets because both Tobias and TJ are kind of tough shot makers, and they're both very good at yeah. it. But I just don't think it's quite quite what the Sixers need. I, like, I think it could help. Um, but for the Blazers, like, absolutely they should be trying to go after, you know, after, after Ben. Like, I, w- I would love to see that for Ben. Like, people have been asking, like, like what do you want to see the Sixers get back? And I'm like, I, I don't really care what the Sixers get back, but for Ben's sake and kind of just basketball in general, I would love to see how that would work because I think it would be a, a really awesome fit, um, you know, for, for Ben and, and the Blazers there. Um, and your childhood would love it. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. I'm going to tell – Go so twenty-year-old me or a nineteen-year-old me that uh, that Ben Simmons is, and David Miller are on the same team. That would, I'd be delighted. Um, That's the worst part of covering the league. Is is like I I got rooted for the Wizards as a kid, and I I can't even think about that anymore. Like ever, ever. I had to just blush it. It sucks. Yeah, I, I agree. But um, but even you mentioned kind of the Blazers side of things, and there's and now there's this report, you know, that that Dame is getting antsy. He wants to win. So then for the Sixers, it's like, do they risk maybe being able to? build like build a, a dame package around ben um like do they hold out like what do you do there like is, right. is Levine the guy who's gonna ask out like is beal gonna ask out like like these stars ask out more more frequently than, than you think especially with kind of player agency continuing to expand especially for the stars um so it's it's a really tough spot for the sixers to be in honestly like there's there's like i i, I don't think i can really condemn any move they end up making um, or criticize, I guess. Condemn is maybe a little harsh um, because it's just so much to weigh, you know. And I think that, especially with because because like Dame and Joel, like that. I mean, that is a, just a, a match made in heaven, right? I mean, you have the, yeah. you finally have the perimeter creator that that Joel basically had for three quarters ago with Jimmy Butler. Um, but this one is a little, even a little better fit because uh, I think one Dame right now is a better player than, than Jimmy was in that year with the Sixers. Even if Jimmy's kind of kind of upped his game again when he got to the Heat. Um, and two, I mean, Dame is probably what the second most valuable shooter in terms of, you know, how he, he impacts floor spacing and whatnot, maybe not the second best shooter, um, but kind of the way he stretches the floor so much. I mean, I'm just, I'm just imagining the space that Joel would have. Um, and if you could, I mean, yes, the, the defense wouldn't be great with a Seth Curry, you know, Dane back, or maybe you have to move Seth, um, you know, to, to get there, but um, your defense is probably going to be pretty dang good as long as you have Joel there, especially kind of the way he's, I mean, the way he's anchored defenses in the playoffs the last few years, but that, I mean, it just goes back to show. Like, I just, you know, talking about the Dame stuff, I, I don't know what the Sixers do. It's a really tough situation right. for them to to navigate, and I, I don't, I don't envy, you know, Daryl Morey and, and kind of his 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 contemporaries. That was going to kind of be my final thought. Though, was like, thankfully, Morey is really good at this stuff, <laughs> like historically. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, there, are, it is. I think I talked about it when I was with when I was, when I, on previous streams, really, with 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 Adam or with with Ricky O'Donnell. Like, um, the Sixers and their kind of their fans should feel a lot more confident that. Daryl Morey is is navigating this stuff rather than the, anyone who was in charge in between Morey and Hinkie and and I like Hinkie never, was never really a guy who had to navigate this sort of stuff just the way he operated as, as a as a kind of executive but um, certainly it is it helps for the Sixers to have a guy like Daryl here um, making the decisions and uh, I think he he will do what he deems best and um, it's as it's, it's just a really tough situation but. Um, Tony, I appreciate you coming on. I appreciate you sharing your insights, whether it was just about the Pacers or kind of how you see this entire situation shaking out or unfolding. Um, give yourself a little shout out. Where can people read your work? Where can they find you? Um, the floor is yours. Oh, the floor is mine. <laughs> I've handed yeah. you the microphone. <laughs> yeah, as I hold my phone up like an inch from my face. 
Uh, I am on Twitter at TESMBA where I yell incoherent nothings about the Pacers and the Indiana Fever of the WNBA. Uh, and I cover the Pacers for Forbes and the West Side Community News and the Lockdown Pacers podcast. And we will talk about Ben Simmons on Lockdown Pacers, I think, in the next week. So if you want to hear that, you should tune in. Right on. Uh, appreciate it, Tony. Uh, he just got verified, so now everyone should definitely follow. Oh, gosh. Huge, no. Huge breakthrough. <laughs> yes. Yeah. You're, 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 I feel so pretentious. Authority. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll make sure that I'll, I'll, when I tweet this out, I'll make sure that uh, people know your, your, <laughs> your word is, your word is canon, uh, because you got, the, you got the check mark now. Um, but yes. anyhow, uh, appreciate you coming on. Appreciate you sharing your insights. For everyone listening, I'll be back on Tuesday, I think. Um, probably continue to do this sort of stuff, bring on someone who covers a team and that could maybe be a Ben Simmons suitor and, you know, kind of talk through all the, the options there. Um, uh, but I'll be back Tuesday. Appreciate everyone for listening. Uh, until then, though. Stay happy, stay healthy, stay safe. I will talk to all of you again soon.